Hi everyone, welcome back to the Back to Goal podcast. My name is Cameron Smith and I'll be your host today. And uh, I'm joined by Jamie Monks and uh, the World Cup quarterfinals, they're over. We're on to the semi-finals. England are out, unfortunately. Yes, they are. Um, a pretty, pretty sour way to go out in the end. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll delve into it a bit a bit later on, but you know, just the initial thoughts are this could have been something pretty special and it's, it's turned out to be something pretty pretty horrifying. Yeah, we you know went into this knowing that France was going to be the biggest test that potentially England have faced under Southgate, really, in terms of, the, on paper, France are probably a better team than the Croatia side we faced in 2018 and, and probably the Italy team we lost to in, in the Euros as well. So frustrating to get knocked out by a big team yet again. Um, but yeah, I guess that's the way it goes, really. England getting knocked out in a World Cup. There was so much hope, especially when Harry Kane got that second penalty. Um, and it's been a, well, it was a pretty disappointing night from there on in for us too. But um, we'll start with slightly more positive note. We'll, we'll leave England to an end and we'll go in chronological order in the World Cup quarterfinals and delve into the action. Um, if you're new around here, then uh, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate all the support that we receive. Um, and we'll start with the first game. We'll start chronological order of these quarterfinals. And the favourites being knocked out on penalties. Croatia do it yet again in a penalty shootout. Uh, that's now four wins from four in World Cup penalty shootouts. Two at this tournament, two at the previous tournament. And they're, come, they're becoming sort of a team known for that you know, determination and that mental spirit aren't they yes yes they are um just mentality monsters there's no other way to really put it um but in this game though um we 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 were you know asking ourselves you know will will Croatia just sit in you know for, for the 90 minutes and try and hang on for penalties uh, and and in the first half it was a completely different story it was you know Croatia for the most part taking control control of the game uh Modric Brozovic and Kovacic were all you know, top top class. I thought. Yeah, I think they were standouts, and so was Juranovic at right back. Yeah. Surprising that I think in that first half, a Celtic player was the best player on the pitch with the talent that was available. But yeah, he really locked down that flank, and Vinicius Junior didn't really have too much of a look in really, and obviously got substituted quite early on in the second half as well. So he certainly did his job, job, mm. and was one that certainly impressed us. And that Croatia back line, obviously conceding an extra time to Neymar but on the whole it was pretty solid against a team that have made defensive look look pretty silly throughout the tournament so far mm. uh, I do have big question marks over the Vinicius sub still though e- even though Juranovic was you know playing well there were still moments where Vinicius was getting you know through the lines you know into that box he had that deflected shot in the first half I remember with a nice little one-two with I think it was Richarlison, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, I, I thought you know Vinicius was probably still Brazil's most dangerous player, and to, to take him off in the 60th minute, I thought was you know the sort of management that has you know lost Tite's job. Yeah, obviously Tite has now gone, which is probably not really a surprise because for those bigger nations, you've seen it with Enrique, you've seen it with Van Gaal, those bigger nations that come into tournaments expecting to win and expecting to go really far in the competition and. Ultimately, Brazil have failed at this World Cup because they went into Zafiris. I thought they were going to win the competition. The talent they have available in their squad is just incredible, really, and they weren't able to get over the line. And they didn't really impress too much in this game, really. It was Croatia on the whole, who were probably the better side, really, I think. Um, and from that demolition of South Korea in that first half that they performed, and then to this to go from that to this performance was surprising, really. But Brazil just didn't really turn up I don't think I think Paqueta from having such a good game against South Korea to this performance was 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 miles away and I think that 
I know that this formation and this system has worked for Tite, but when you face a midfield three of you know Croatia's quality, having Neymar in that midfield just means that you are you know at risk of being overrun, and at times they really were because Brozovic in particular was sensational, wasn't he? You mm. were really a big fan of it when we were watching it together, and he sort of locked down Neymar. Obviously, Neymar did produce that one moment of magic to open the score sheet um, in in extra time, but. For the most part, Brozovic got the better of him. Yes, yes, he did. Uh, but there, there, were, I, th- I think there maybe were question marks over whether Brozovic should have been on the pitch still. Um, you know, he, he gets that um, that yellow card in the first half after you know Neymar finally gets past him with that little cheeky nutmeg. Um, but there, there were definitely big question marks over you know some of the fouls he was uh, given in the second half. Should they have been you know awarded a second yellow for it? Um, but overall, yeah, no, I just thought. Casemiro, that was definitely his worst game in in the Brazil shirt this tournament. Yeah, it, sure. it was definitely because he lacked sort of any sort of support in there from Neymar, and at times Paqueta because he can sort of empty midfield sometimes, and it was just you know at times three versus one in there, and yeah, no Casemiro struggled big time. Yeah, and I mean you kind of saw that for the Croatia goal. It was just naivety from Brazil at times. Obviously they. But one they're up at this stage after Neymar has produced that unbelievable goal where he sort of picked up deep, um, one two, ran the keeper and scored. But Brazil in what was it, the hundred and seventeenth minute decided that was when they were gonna start pressing Croatia. Mm. And then one ball to I can't remember quite remember who it would who the Croatia player was that, that produced it, but Croatia then just in, down the side and Orsic was in. Orsic, yeah. And it's like just down the left and Orsic I think has done enough in these cameo appearances to start the semi-final because he's been so dangerous. Um, but it's just like, why are you so open with mm. three minutes to go and you're you know, going through at that stage? I just don't quite really understand it. And I think there was some naivety from Brazil in that performance, whether that was from TT in terms of selection. Maybe you do have to switch things around and not have Neymar on a midfield three when you're playing against Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I just think that there were moments in that game where Brazil didn't look like they were the side that maybe I'd pinned them to be. Mm. But also what you have to take into consideration is the fact that Lavakovic did make, you know, plenty of, you know, good, oh, he was brilliant, yeah. good saves in that second half especially where, you know, on a different day Brazil could have been one or two up. But I also think Neymar Neymar gets in twice, doesn't he? Um down the left-hand side in in that second half and the finishes he, he Pulls off are just you know very very tame and not we not not what we've expected from Neymar in the past maybe maybe the sort of clinicalness that he's lost now I, I think um, you know being being shown now I, I think over the last two or three years he, he hasn't you know been that quality finisher that we you know we saw at Barcelona off both feet I think he has definitely lost that sort of touch in front of goal yeah he's sort of drop dropping deeper and deeper these days I think at, at Barcelona maybe when you have Messi in the team who does just drop that much deeper. He is a little bit more of a you know goal scorer, but now I yeah I do think he's just far more of a creator, and yeah you know, I guess that lack of clinicalness is in the end cost Brazil. And another thing that has is obviously that penalty shootout. Obviously Neymar scores, and then Pekovic you know they got the other range coach like we mentioned, and Pekovic scored. I mean I think his appearance off the bench was ropey. I don't think he was particularly impressive, but obviously gets a shot away, deflected, goes past Allison, and then takes it to a penalty shootout and. I think the major talking point is the fact that Neymar was going to go fifth for Brazil and it didn't even reach him because Marquinhos missed the penalty mm. before him. And it's just, it's one of those ones where it's pretty cliche to say, but you just should have your best penalty takers at the start of a shootout because it might not get to the fifth taker. And in this yeah. instance, it didn't. So Neymar, who is probably, you'd imagine, Brazil's best penalty taker, didn't actually get to take a spot kick in the shootout. 
Yeah, I mean, we've always sort of had this argument. I think it happened to Ronaldo. I can't remember when exactly, but um, it happened where he didn't get to take a penalty because um, he was the fifth taker. I think it was in the, the Confederations Cup, maybe like four or five years ago against Chile, um, where he, you know he he wants that glory for the fifth pen, but it, they, they don't get there because I think I think Nani might have missed one. Um, and obviously some others um, but yeah no, it's always that double edged blade with being the fifth taker of I get all the glory but also you, you might not you know, be able to take one yeah because it happened with Ronaldo when he did <coughs> take it fifth and did score the winner in the Champions League against Atletico Madrid where he took, took a shot off in celebration I remember that um, but it, it's especially when you have someone like Rodrigo taking the first pen obviously like a really young player stepping up taking the first penalty for Brazil maybe I just would rather have you know Neymar, you know the talisman. Mm. Go and take it, go and score it, and put it on, put you in a good spot. Because well, if you miss the first pen, it does put so much more pressure on it. So you're so much more likely to lose the shootout. Yeah. I mean, it happened here with Brazil missing the first one. It happened with the Netherlands with Van Dijk missing the first one. Um, so that first penalty is so key. So uh, I don't know. I just would have wanted Neymar to at least be in the first three to ensure that he definitely takes a penalty. Yeah, um, and ultimately the, the Marquinhos pen. It's agonisingly close, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, off the post. It's uh, about an, maybe two or three centimetres inside of that, and it probably goes in off the post. Yeah. So it's just them, you know, them fine margins which have ultimately cost Brazil. I mean, this this for me was the biggest shock of the tournament. This this penalty loss. Really? I think. Yeah. To lose in Croatia though, they're they're a really good international team. Yeah, I know, but quarterfinals Brazil, you go one nil up in extra time. And then you lose on penalties. Yeah, I suppose the way in the manner in yeah. which it happened, they were what, because three they, or four minutes away from winning yeah. an extra time. Yeah, because they just score. Neymar's goal comes right before the uh, first uh, the half time of extra time, and you just think, oh, the momentum's with Brazil now. Surely, you know, Croatia can't pull this back. And I mean, the, the goal itself, the deflection. <laughs> yeah, it's quite yeah, fortunate. It is. It is fortuitous that the, the way Croatia, you know, level it. And then to lose on penalties, uh, yeah, no, I, th- I think th- this was the one where Neymar was set up for World Cup glory. Yeah, this was the one where he was, you know, going to finally write his name into into history, and it hasn't quite happened. Yeah, for I him. think the way they concede that equaliser is just so telling as well, like pressing at heart the pitch, not even really properly pressing, but just stepping up the pitch, leaving spaces in behind. Alexandro is absolutely nowhere. Um, not really sure what he's doing, and then you know deflection, 117th minute, and then. Yeah, to lose on penalties, but Croatia like props to them because for a country with a population of about four million, I think, to have the team that they have mm. is actually pretty crazy. Um, just that midfield, obviously, is absolutely world class, and you probably won't see a better midfield in international football, really. Um, and yeah, they've done it again. Obviously, got to the final in 2018, and we'll believe that they have a really good shot of getting to the final again because they'll be facing Argentina, and Argentina haven't looks brilliant throughout the whole tournament but have managed to make it through to the semi-final so Croatia could easily make the final and then who knows what happens from there Right then we'll get on to Argentina's 2 all draw with Netherlands um, obviously Argentina won 4-3 on penalties um, and this was well, to put it lightly a very heated affair um, 17 cards uh, in the entire game, 48 fouls given by referee Matu, Matteo Lahoz. Lahoz? I think I said that. Lahoz. Lahoz. Yeah. Let's go Lahoz. Yeah. yeah, we'll go for that. Um, and yeah, the tensions were boiling, and that photo of Argentina players celebrating in front of Netherlands when they won the shootout was 
you know, got all, done the rounds around Twitter and pretty iconic now. Mm, yeah, no, it, it was a game which, from the outset, you know, was you know bubbling nicely, and then it sort of all exploded with that that Paredes incident <laughs> where Van Dyke just comes in and bundles him over, and, and you know, from there it just became, you know, all-out war basically. Yeah, it was pretty chaos, really. Obviously. I think what Paredes does is he's pretty fortunate to stay on the pitch in terms of he should have a yellow card for the foul and then a yellow card for booting the ball at the Netherlands bench and then Van Dijk should get a red card for... Just it's, like, it's violent conduct yeah, the way he just like, puts him to the ground. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, uh, he's not like gone on and punched him, but he still mm. just like puts someone to the ground with yeah. no intention of getting anywhere near the ball or anything like that. So from there on in, it was just yeah like pretty much a war of people just going at each other. And I mean, Paredes was like that the whole game since he came on pretty much. And yeah, got, you know... Tensions were certainly flaring, and I mean, I think that added a nice extra touch to the game. It made yeah. it certainly more interesting, and I think the way that Netherlands equalised as well in the last last second uh, was pretty emphatic. Really, it was actually so good to see it. I wanted that game to continue, basically, mm. and it, and it did. Um, thanks to Weghorst, who came on and bagged a brace. Louis Van Gaal went for the the I don't know the strategy of two target men up front, him and Luke De Jong, and it I mean it paid off in in mm. normal time. Obviously, Vekos grabbing a double. Yes, um, yeah, no, I think it is pretty concerning that these tactics did work. <laughs> the fact that you know Van Gaal's resorted to lumping it to Vekos and Luke De Jong and Van Dijk as well. Yeah, Van Dijk at striker as well. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, Argentina for a good 10-15 minutes just could not live with it at all. Um, you know, the, the the first goal itself, I thought. Lissandro doesn't get close enough to mm-hmm. Veghorst. He just gives him way too much, you know, space to you know, get that header off. He's not really contested whatsoever. Um, and then obviously the free kick is just when it, when it has worked, and obviously they've scored from it. But if if it didn't, everyone would be <laughs> saying, "Oh, why didn't Koopman just bloody have a good go at it?" Because I mean, it's it's one of them ones that you just never really see it, do you? Yeah, but you've seen it with Veghorst before. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but he uh, there's a video I saw going around Twitter. He did it for Wolfsburg, that like basically the same thing. Really? Where he's had a, a free kick for Wolfsburg, and they basically played it into him. He's turned and, and scored. Fair so point. he's clearly known for it. So it might, may well have been his idea. Mm. Um, but yeah, absolute scenes when he scores that goal. It was yeah, pretty pretty immense, really. And yeah, when it happened, you were just like. What, what is happening here it's mm. like a proper thing you do on FIFA where you just want to pass it short instead of taking a free kick yeah. um, and it actually worked and yeah, it, it, just... in terms of XG percentage that's probably <laughs> the safer play isn't it yeah. to just pass it short but um, I think Enzo Fernandes is really unlucky not to actually tackle Vekhorst in it because yeah. he, he sort of like misses the ball with his slide tackle and then Vekhorst manages to slot it home and yeah I mean it is pretty crazy to me that a strike partnership of Luke Dewing and Without Veghorst has come on and changed the game in a World, uh, in, Cup, in a World Cup. Yeah. Um, to you know, a Newcastle flop in Luke De Jong and a Burnley flop in Without Veghorst. But obviously, they've both done it in other leagues across Europe. Um, and yeah, obviously, Netherlands got back into it. But then came um, you know Martinez in the shootout, who yet again was the hero. And I hate to say I told you so. But I did tell I, you. I so. didn't disagree. No, though, no, no, no. I? I'm not saying it to you. I'm just saying it to the world. Um, I think I think it's well documented that Martinez is good. <laughs> no, at but I no, no, no. But my prediction in our previous podcast was that this game would go to the penalties, and that I backed Martinez, and Argentina would go through because of him. Yeah, uh, and it happened. So fair enough. Yeah, obviously the dance that he did after saving Berghaus's yes. penalty, if they'd won on the loot, you know, went on to lose it, would have been memed. That's for sure. But. Yeah worked out in the end and yeah he's just pretty immense from him he was clearly a, an excellent shot stopper because the two saves he pulled off 
I think were really good. Like the Van Dyke penalty, I don't think was particularly bad. No, uh, I don't think it was. And either. I think it was just a really good save. And the Bergheis one was maybe not as an impressive save, but it was still a decent save. Like he struck mm. it well. Um, and I mean, the one thing, the one blot on Argentina's penalty record is Enzo Fernandez, our yeah. our star boy, putting it wide, missing the target entirely. Yeah. Which is uh, when he sort of trundles up to it the way he does. I wasn't confident. I know you said, oh, no, he's going to slot I these. thought he was going to score. I, I thought, no, nah, I don't like this run-up whatsoever, and then to miss the target. But ultimately, it doesn't matter, because you know Argentina are through to the semi-finals. Yeah, and I think it's time we've gone long enough talking about Argentina without mentioning Lionel Messi. Obviously, that first goal is sublime from him. The way he spots Molina's run is simply superb. Obviously, he shrugs aside Ake. The way he sort of pauses, then goes again, and I mean, then uh, finds that... That that pass is just like an you know one in a million pass yeah. that no one sees. I mean, it's just actually insane. I don't know how he's pulled that off, but mm. fair um, play. Uh, oh. I've got I've got a problem with Ake though because he can definitely engage him. He, he does. I don't know how he quite gets fooled by Messi just not touching the ball. Basically, it's that little pause he does, which completely offsets Ake completely. He can, he's got the time and space to engage him a lot earlier there. And ultimately, I think that's what you know led to that goal being scored. Yeah, but the thing is, is with that Messi assist, is that it's not something you see from him that often. I saw a chart on Twitter that said when he always comes in at the angle that he made that pass, he always, almost always plays it out the right, way he's facing, yeah. like to the left. It, back. it, it was, never reverses it, was, it back. It was yeah. typically Jordi Alba. Now it's becoming new mensch at PSG. Mm. He always plays that pass in behind and never really. Like literally, never ever plays that pass reverse. That reverse pass. Yeah. Um, so maybe the, I mean, Netherlands are probably thinking it's going to be the pass out wide to the mm. left, like he normally does. But to switch it up and play that inch perfect pass was sublime. And to be fair to Molina, he holds off Van Dijk really well and finishes nicely because mm. it's not an easy finish, even from the way that Messi's put him in and for a right back as well. Yeah, so, yeah. So the, the, the way Prod's at home is really clever actually because he's not got time to really think about it too much he, the, the way he touches it out he just has to get it off as soon as possible um, and it was a really good finish yeah and then obviously Messi assist and then Messi goal with the penalty um, Denzel Dumfries was you know he wasn't great in this this was he giving no. it away very clumsily really I mean Hakuna's not really going anywhere and he just decides to yeah, there's, there's bring only, it down yeah there's only one way he can go and he just sort of swipes swipes him completely it's just a really Poor moment for Dumfries because you know we had been talking him up last game, saying that you know he is such a quality tournament player, but that that was a moment that he he will like to forget quickly. Yeah, we were talking about obviously mentioning his weaknesses as well because there are a lot. I think he is pretty much a penalty box player. Mm. Um, you compare him to Marcus Alonso, and I think that's pretty fair to be fair. Um, and it showed again here in terms of I've seen Marcus Alonso do that kind of thing several times during his time at Chelsea and. Dumfries didn't really cover himself in glory and it was just a silly foul that you think is ultimately one of the reasons why they've gone out of the tournament um, and it's just a really clumsy, silly foul but something that was equally clumsy was Petzala giving away the, f- the free kick yes. um, for Netherlands to equalise in the last second because that's just absolutely stupid, I don't really know what he's doing um, it's, it's, it's that classic coming on as a sub, trying to make your mark and say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to take nothing in this game. And just the way he pushes him is just so clumsy and just so amateur. Um, and it very nearly, you know, got them knocked out of the World Cup. Yeah, and obviously Argentina went with sort of a back five, back three system, like they ended the Australia game with with Sandra Martinez, Otamendi, and Romero in the back three. 
Um, do you reckon that's the formation to go for? Do you reckon that suits their team more than a four at the back? Uh, if if you're going to play Otamendi, I think you also need to play Lissandro. So yeah, probably having a back three would be better, and it also protects Otamendi because he has. I mean, I, I don't think he's had a very good World Cup to be honest. I, I think he's been all, all over the place for me. Hmm. Not not sort of shown the form he has for Benfica in, in the last you know year or two. Um, but I think against Croatia. Midfield battle is obviously going to be key because they're going to play three in midfield anyway. You'd imagine though, Argentina even with that that back five because that's what they did in this game. Mm. McAllister, DePaul, Enzo. I think that's well equipped as you can be to against against that Croatia midfield. And you got the Messi and Messi, Alvarez up front. Messi and just in the free roam sort of role. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be a tough game, I think. And I, 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 mm. I don't know who wins this actually. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really, really close game. It's, a, I mean, it's a World Cup semi-final, so you do imagine it will be pretty close. But um, we're going to our predictions then for that game: Croatia, yeah. Argentina, the first of the semi-finals. And do you reckon Croatia make it to back-to-back finals? Which would be an incredible achievement for a country their size. It would, um, but I think the messy momentum is maybe too much to sort of hold back now. I think. Yeah, is it just destiny that he wins this World Cup? I, th- I think. The That's fact- what it felt like in 2014 when they got to the final as well. Uh, but their team was just not that good, yeah, was suppose, it? Yeah. Um, the fact that I predicted Argentina to win just means Messi <laughs> has to win it now, pretty much. Um, I think this also goes the distance. Yeah, I think it goes pens as well. Um, and I think it's Martinez magic again. Yeah, well, it's, it's crazy because Martinez and Lovakovic have both been sensational in shootouts so yeah. far, so... There's certainly no mugs, and but I just you said it before. Croatia are Montality monsters. I reckon they win on pens. You Argentina think? go out. I think oh. Croatia get to the final again. That would That's be, actually what I can see. That would be horrid for me. Pretty painful actually. Okay, then we'll go on to another shock, I guess, if you uh, go on international pedigree. Um, but Morocco beating Portugal one nil and becoming the first African nation to ever reach. A semi-final of a World Cup. This is pretty mental, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Um, I just remembered that this happened to be honest because <laughs> I said the shot, uh, the shock of the tournament was Brazil getting knocked out on penalties to Croatia. I think this maybe just might one up it. I think Morocco are a very dangerous team, um, mm. and they still only conceded one goal in the whole tournament, and that was an own goal mm. from Aguerd against Canada. Um, that is actually mental, especially when you consider they've played Spain and Portugal and beaten them both. I mean, what's crazy to me is Belgium that, as well, Croatia in the group. Yeah, they've beaten Belgium, Portugal, and Spain in this one World Cup. When mm. was the last time England beat a decent nation at a World Cup in terms of like top, yeah, top yeah. ten pedigrees? Yeah. yeah, it's a long, long time. Morocco done it in one tournament. Mm. It's a fair play, but they are they've got the momentum behind them now. I think they've actually got such a good, you know, they've got the crowd behind them in all their games. Mm. Teams are basically full of Morocco fans and. They, it does just seem to be like a feel-good atmosphere. So they changed the coach in the summer, brought Ziyech back into the fold, and it just feels like a team who themselves feel like unbeatable. Mm, I agree with all of that. And you've also got the fact that Aguerd was out injured. Yeah. They bring in a new centre-back in Jawad El Yamik. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. Yeah. Plays his uh, club footballer, Real Valladolid. Um, and you'd think, you know, losing Aguerd would, you know, sort of, yeah, hampering their their defensive uh, solidity, but it just you know it was 
business as usual and also science uh, science car science <laughs> wrong sport mate yeah god um romance ice yeah there you go uh who i didn't realize until the other day is no longer at wolves <laughs> because for some reason i keep forgetting that um he came off injured again with his with his hamstring injury that, that he uh, picked up in the in the last game yeah. against spain and no Maserati as well and Maserati as well and still they were absolutely fine i mean apart from a late pepe header which went wide you know they didn't portugal didn't really create that, that much at all yeah jao felix had one header from a free kick in the first half but yeah portugal didn't create too much and it was just morocco being morocco in terms of what we know them as now in terms of a solid defensive unit who were able to counterattack well um i thought that unahi in midfield onger was just Sublime. I thought he was so mm. so good. Um, and he's playing for a move clearly. Yeah, and someone else who was was like he's been all tournament was Sofian Amrabat again. Someone who probably will get a move in January based off this tournament. I mean, those two in midfield were really really good. They just shut down anything Portugal were trying to create. And yeah, I just think Onahi was just. I know he really really caught my eye every time that Morocco did start a counter attack. It seemed like he was the one driving them forward. And yeah, that just really caught my eye as a player to be like, yeah, he's good enough to play for a bigger team than Andre, mm. who are what rock bottom of league on I think yes eight points after 15 games and him him and Sofian Bufal are sort of playing for, for a move out of there because it's certainly a sinking ship right now <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah no Anahi sort of reminds me of the way he dribbles a little bit of Musiala I think he's quite a slender oh, yeah. sort of he's, he's, he's quite lanky but like his build is quite slight um, and the way he sort of manipulates the ball on either foot sort of did remind me of, uh, of Musiala in, in that game, especially in that first half, the way he, he sort of um, you know, got his team out and relieved pressure. Um, Buffal again, body feints, beautiful, as always. Just the way he manipulates himself around the ball. Yeah, so good. It's just, yeah, just amazing to watch. And then also, uh, worst cameo of the of the <laughs> century from Chidera, once again. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> for a team who's been so good, the fact that he keeps getting brought off the bench is surprising to me because every time I've seen him, Against Spain as well, he had that chance, a couple of chances in behind where he sort of just miscontrolled the ball, sort of fell over it almost. And then here against Portugal again, had chances um, in behind. There was one where I can't remember who passed the ball to him on a counter, but if he just left it, it was going straight, straight to, to Akimi. Akimi. Yeah. And he just he was the one who, who picked up the ball and, and then shot didn't go in, obviously. And then he got a red card right at the end. And I mean, frankly, I think it's actually a blessing in disguise for Morocco because they won't be able to bring him off the bench against mm. France. And it means that. I just think that's better for their team because I just haven't been impressed at all. For a team who's been so good, so impressive, he's one player I think has stood out as someone who hasn't really caught the oh, eye. Yeah. Well, caught the eye Awful. for the wrong reasons, yeah. that's Awful. for sure. Um, and I know, well, speaking of catching the eye for the wrong reasons, um, Cristiano Ronaldo's cameo off the bench was also not particularly good. Obviously, started on the bench again for Goncalo Ramos, who started. Obviously, Ramos didn't really do too much in the game. No. wasn't able to get into the game like he, he was against Switzerland. Yeah, I think he had one header in the second half, which that was went poor, wide. Really poor uh, header. That was yeah. a good chance for him. And apart from that, he was you know fairly anonymous. Yeah, he was. And, and Ronaldo came off the bench and just just stood out like a sore thumb as a player who just is past it now. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's not really a surprise anymore, is it? I mean, this is just a guy who is so just out of his depth as a footballer now, at, at especially this level where. You know, sort of the, the the sort of stature around him. It's oh, it's Ronaldo who's going to come on and you know change the game, and he he did that, but um, for Morocco basically. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit harsh, but I do get what you mean. And obviously, he sort of full time whistle goes. He walks straight down the tunnel, um, and in that regard, it is like he, this is probably his last World Cup. You're not going to see him play 
I imagine another World Cup and that is his chance gone obviously won the Euros in 2016 so has ticked off that international trophy I guess a bit like Messi did with the Copa America um, so he's at least got that on his record but he'll probably be ruined the fact that he never was able to take mm. Portugal to World Cup glory and, and, and won't have the chance again this year and never score a knockout stage goal as well yeah that's actually pretty crazy the fact that that's never happened yeah. and you look at the list of players who have who have done it in this tournament at least as well mm. which is pretty crazy we haven't actually spoke about the goal yet which no, is no we haven't that somehow I mean the leap it, it, it itself from in the series is you know, Ronaldo. I'm not sure I could even get that high. It is, you know, an absolutely incredible feat of jumping, Ath- jumping high off your feet. <laughs> Athleticness, I think, yeah. is maybe the word you're looking for. Um, yeah, it is. You know, cross comes in, and you know, Diogo Costa comes for it. And if you come for it there, you do have to get it. It is an error from him, but he's a very young goalkeeper, and he'll he'll bounce back. But yeah, if you come for that cross, you have to get it. And he sort of goes the wrong side wrong of Enniziri. Yeah. He's got to come in front of him and he goes, anticipating that Enniziri can't jump that high, which is probably a fair assumption. Yeah, no, it, you can't it's, it's predict not that... him to jump that high because it was yeah. pretty insane. Yeah, but... you, you don't know he's going to be you know, prime LeBron. But that, <laughs> that vertical was absolutely crazy. <laughs> and then, yeah, just sort of heads it into an open net. It's still a difficult header because yeah. the cross comes in with you know, a fairly decent pace. He's still got a director. I know it's an open goal, but... He does manage to direct it in, and that's ultimately enough for, for Morocco to progress into the semi-finals to become, like I said at the, at the top, the first African team ever to reach a semi-final, and you know the feel-good stories around them, and and certainly for me, obviously England are out, so I think Morocco is is a team I'll be supporting, that's for sure, mm. even if it is only for one game. They're going all the way, mate. Don't you, don't you worry. <laughs> and then we'll go on to the final quarter-final then. England's 2-1 loss to France. Yeah, pretty pretty sad note to go out really because England were good. Like to be honest, they've England have had poor games against big sides in the past, but this wasn't one of them. Yeah. And I think that on the face of things they were the better team and just the fine margins, you know, didn't quite fall for England in this mm. one. Yeah, no, no, I was saying this to you before. I'm not too disheartened by this because I think the Croatia game, we went into our shells as soon as we went 1-0 up. We were just hanging on for dear life. Mm-hmm. Same with the the Italy game as well. and we, we just got outplayed in both of those games. But this was a game where we did definitely show you know, France that we are on their level as a team and you know, probably should have, maybe should have won. Obviously, you know, missing a penalty is you know, ne- never great, and especially one to equalise. But I think this is a game where I just thought, We've shown what we're about, and I'm not too downbeat about that. Yeah, and ultimately it's a kick from 12 yards that Kane has skied over that's you know potentially cost England going through because I know France obviously went ahead after the first penalty Kane scored, but going into extra time, the momentum potentially would have been with England if you know they hadn't managed to grab a winner in normal time, and who knows what would have happened. It could have been a lottery, but it's just surprising that Kane missed that penalty because he's normally just such a reliable penalty taker. Like of players in world football there's not many if any I'll take over Harry Kane from 12 yards yeah really. I, I hang my hat on him most most time or that, uh, 99% of the time but I, I think maybe the second penalty the fact that it's against his, his teammate in Lloris could have played on his mind a little bit yeah he's already gone the way he went first time yeah. it's that psychology of I've gone that way do I go that way yeah. again I think he's just trying to hit it too hard to make sure he scores and he just sort of ballooned it like 
I don't know, Kepa did in the League Cup. I, I, was, thinking, I was thinking more sort of Bruno against Aston Villa. Do you remember start of last oh, yeah. season where yeah, yeah. it looks like he's intensely missing? That's what I sort of thought <laughs> with Kane. It's like, how are you getting it that high? Yeah. What, how, what has happened there? Yeah, it's, it's bizarre, but you know that's ultimately cost England. I mean, there were other moments in the game where England potentially could have been better. Obviously, Kane had that chance where he sp- sort of spun Upamecano, tried yeah. to go in and win it, and then probably should have lifted it over Lloris, who was a keeper who... If you watch him, he does go to ground a lot. You know, yeah. see those chance. He when he's one v ones, he just goes to ground, doesn't he? I just remind, it just reminded me of that goal. You know, the goal that Salah scored where, yeah, against Spurs, oh, yeah, seventeen yeah, yeah. eighteen, yeah. where Lloris dives at his feet and makes yeah. himself so small. It was, it was that sort of similar technique that Lloris displayed last night. Where if Kane just lifts it a little bit higher, it just goes into the roof of the net like Salah did at Anfield and. Uh, Apart from that, in terms of open play chances... There wasn't too many, but yeah. then again, France didn't have too many themselves. And, I mean, the first goal France scored, it is a, a great finish from Chouameni. Obviously, it hurts me, probably my favourite player in world football, scoring the goal against my nation. But, I mean, I firmly believe that there was a foul on Saka from Open yeah. to start the move. I think that there was probably two fouls in that one challenge that he made. The first one and the second one definitely swipes his legs With away. the legs, yeah. I don't know how the linesman's not seen him. I mean, he's literally right there. But then VAR, can they overturn it because it's potentially a different phase of play? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not really sure. And then I think from there on, you can you can blame that, but it's, it's similar to what happened... I remember it happened against Chelsea. I think it was against Aston Villa last season or the season before, where Andreas Christensen thinks he's got fouled in uh, on like the halfway line, and then it's um, El Ghazi at the back post goes and sorts, and Chelsea uh, just yeah. just switch off defensively. And I think England in their minds were still thinking oh, it's, a, it's a foul yeah. up there. Why has that not been given? And then the midfield. I'm not quite sure why there's no pressure on Chouamani. He's in acres of space before Griezmann passes it. Griezmann spends a you know couple of seconds I guess on the ball before releasing it to Chouameni mm. he's able to touch it and strike it without too much pressure on him and I mean it is a great strike I mean Chouameni you've seen it you've seen it more with, I, haven't, I haven't really seen it at Real Madrid from him but at Monaco he did yeah, he had, some, that, he had yeah. that in him like, yeah. uh, you know a long strike from outside the box um, and he certainly got that in his locker and, and displayed that here in this game and so it's disappointing for England to sort of you can blame the ref and I mean Maguire came out in his post-match interview and straight did, away blame the ref. That, classic Maguire, isn't it? Sort of. Uh, <laughs> it certainly is put, a, shifting blame yeah, elsewhere. It certainly is something you can say because I think that obviously what should have been a foul on Saka. I think the foul from Upamecano on Kane that's not given as anything is. I mean, I think the contact continues in the box. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, I get, obviously, it isn't given. And VR aren't going to get, can't give a free kick, but I mean, haven't seen the lines get drawn out, but it does still look like there's potentially contact in the box. But yeah. if there isn't, and VAR seen it isn't, obviously you, it you was can't really it go was weird that. that we didn't see any of like the the protocol of checking that. Yeah, because we we didn't get a, you know a conclusive angle as as to whether the contact was in or outside the box. I personally thought it was just outside the kick that he does. Yeah, I, I think it calf. is, but it's just whether it continues in, and it probably it maybe does, maybe doesn't. But I think it's easy for England to blame the referee, but ultimately. I mean, also, Teo Hernandez definitely should have got a red card for the foul on Mount because I know double jeopardy exists in the box, but that's when, when you're playing the ball and he makes absolutely no attempt to yeah. play the ball, cleans Mount out when he Mount out when he's sort of 1v1 with Reese. I mean, he probably isn't going to get the ball, yeah, which is I probably think that's the, the one thing him. that saves him. Yeah. And, um, but ultimately, England had a chance with Kane from 12 yards out to equalise, and so blaming the ref is probably a sort of moot point when you've had two penalties in the game and, and Kane could have scored the second one. Really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also think... A little part of me thinks is the Giroud header 
you know, sort of preventable. I think if John Stones, John Stones is on that front post sort of zone area uh, when the Griezmann cross comes in, if he properly leaps for that, because he doesn't really make an attempt to, you know, go for the cross. Um, I think yeah, can he get to it or can he put off Giroud with with the header itself? And obviously Maguire is just a little like a, a half a yard off off of Giroud in terms of getting tight to him. But we had that warning sign like just the attack before when Giroud, you know, was was denied by Pickford, and we, we should have seen that coming again. I and mean, we just weren't really alert to that Giroud cross again. Yeah, and and one thing that has been questioned uh, in the aftermath of the game is the substitutions that Southgate mm. made. Obviously, I mean, he gave Grealish about two minutes into the, the game. Say, I mean, you can't really do anything in that time. And I think the one Rashford that, got like five yeah, or six. I mean, Rashford's yeah. been England's top scorer in the tournament. And I know it's against France, who were sitting back, and that isn't what suits Rashford's skill set. But maybe you bring him on a little bit earlier. And the one that really stood out was Bukayo Saka being taken off um, when England were two one down in the 79th minute. Um, I understand bringing Raheem Sterling on. He's a player who's performed well for England, but. Can you take off Henderson, put Foden in midfield, and put Sterling out wide that way? And yeah. That's how you bring him and on rather than taking all, off. All, yeah, all your taking off Saka. Up, I mean, yeah. with two one down with ten minutes to go, I mean, Van Hal chucked all his big men up front, yeah. put Van Dijk up front, and pinned Argentina in. Whereas Southgate sort of still had that midfield three that were of Bellingham, Rice, and Henderson until he took Henderson off for Mount, and it's it's a bit industrious. There's not really too much creativity in there, mm. and I think that you. The, the better idea, I mean, it's hindsight, but I think the better idea would have been putting phone in midfield and bringing Sterling on out wide. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I also think we scored the uh, the equaliser, the penalty in the 54th minute. I think we didn't make a sub until they made it 2-1. I think there's a period there where you've got, a, you're, you're on top in the game, you've got to add to that, I think. Yeah, I think he's been reactive to, yeah. to the so front got, rather than being proactive, yeah. and maybe that is something that... That's, that's a 20-minute period there of... It could have swung our way, and we could have been two one up if Fresh if we made the yeah. right subs. Yeah, I right, yeah, that's a good point because I think that is something that maybe can be critiqued of Southgate is the reactiveness of, of substitutions yeah. rather than the proactiveness that maybe other managers in international football make. And I mean, I don't think you can really blame Southgate for this too much. I think we we're a better team on the day um, and had an opportunity to equalise really late on. And I, I don't think that. Obviously, we didn't create too many open play chances, but then again, I don't think France created too many. Obviously, that Giroud chance mm. that you mentioned that was straight at Pickford, and I think on the balance of it, we easily could have gone through in this game, but you know, didn't really quite go our way. Mm. No, it didn't. But I, I just want to take a moment to talk about Antoine Griezmann, please, because yeah. I've just got something for you. Um, 2016, he's the lethal goal scorer up top, finishes yep. with golden boot for the Euros. 2018, he's the Floating ten elite creator for for France in 2018, and then win the World Cup, and now he's playing in that left centre mid, uh, that right centre mid role. Sorry, um, and he's just been a quality box to box midfielder. And I just think, in in terms of international players, uh, how many have done that down the years in multiple yeah. tournaments, sort of re redefine their position and, and their role in the team. Have. I think in terms of yeah, he's maybe in terms of yeah flexibility, position and changing. He's probably the prime Tour- example. Yeah, tournament after tournament. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a, it's a very good point. I think that in terms of just international players of the last decade, him, probably Perisic as well, have, mm. have got to be up there in terms of, you know, their impact on their respective nation. And he probably doesn't get, you know, the credit he deserves in that France team with the likes of Mbappe and Dembele in there. But 
Queesman was excellent in this game mm. again. Two assists. Yeah, and I mean, I mean the, 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 the first one, one is it's a bus gets assist. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> and the cross for Giroud. Yeah, as the, well. the cross for it's, brilliant. It's ferocious because you when you've got a player like Giroud on the side, you know Giroud makes front post runs. That's mm. what he's done his whole career. Did it at Arsenal. Did it at Chelsea. Does it at Milan now? And to know that you've got to put it in that area, and um, Giroud's going to be there is you know quality from Griezmann, and ultimately it's what's seen France through to the semi-finals again. And you imagine that both these nations went into this game thinking, based on the other results that happened in the quarterfinals, thinking if we win this game, we've probably got a really really good chance of winning this World Cup and probably go into it as favourites. Mm. And France are now probably you'd have to say the favourites are going to win this yeah, tournament. Yeah, probably in the driving seat, I'd say. And you know they've saw off England and. That's probably the, I don't know if that's the biggest win of any of the quarterfinals, but it is a big win because they were probably the worst team in, in the game on the balance of things. Yeah. I think it was slightly better and you can't, I'm not sure you can really say that for any of the other teams that qualified. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is what France do though, don't they? They sort of ride out these storms and waves of pressure and come out the other side with the win. Um, and that's the mentality of like champions, really. Yeah. Because Morocco were better than Portugal, Croatia were better than Brazil, I think. Mm. Argentina were better than Netherlands for the most part. Um, yeah. and, and France were the worst team in the game, but managed to get through. So when they actually hit top strike, because I don't think they were great in the game, no. they definitely got a level to go up. And Mbappe was pretty nullified, really. And he, he still had moments of danger, though, oh, yeah, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, then, for the most part, yeah. Walker did a pretty decent job. And he wasn't really too influential in the game, but... I mean, I can't imagine that stays the same in the next game, especially mm. against Hakimi, who trains against yeah, week in, week out. And who is a, a liability defensively. Hakimi is an attacking right back. Mm. I think Mbappe can get some joy against him. Um, we'll go on then. We'll predict that Morocco, France, semi final. I think our hearts say Morocco are going to win, but say what, what do your heads say? Uh, I think this is an, I think both semi finals go to extra time. Yep. And I think this one doesn't go to penalties. I think this one is ended by France winning. I think it's one-one after extra time, and yep. it, France win two-one. Yeah, I think this is. I think this has got a two-nil France win written all over it. Uh, a fairly early goal, and then they go and get one when Morocco are pushing a little bit more. Mm. I'm not sure if it goes to extra time or if that is in normal time. Um, Go on, I'll say it's in extra time. Morocco hold out a nil-nil in normal time. France get an early one in extra time and then uh, kill one off and yeah, towards the end. This does definitely feel like w- one step too far, too too far, too far <laughs> for Morocco. Um, but I'd love just, to take it to the final. Just, yeah, just holding out, holding out this France attack will be you know some some doing. Uh, even though they've only conceded you know one goal in this tournament, I think this is maybe just. Bit, a bit too much for and them. I think that Portugal are pretty one dimensional against Morocco yeah. whereas France I don't think you can really say that because you've got the speed and throughout wide of Dembele and mm. Mbappe and then you've got the physical presence of Giroud they can attack in multiple mm. different ways and I think that might just be a little bit too much for Morocco even though I would absolutely love it if Morocco made it to the final I'd, I mean I'd love a Croatia-Morocco final that would, that would be, be amazing it'd yeah. be brilliant it'd be one of those feel good stories in the World Cup um, but that's about wrapped it up for this episode um, the quarterfinals are done. England are out, which is a massive shame. But we go again at the Euros in 2024. Um, what, 18 months away now? So yes, you yes, reckon Southgate stays for that? Just as a an extra question. Uh, I think his interview after the game sort of told me anyway that perhaps he won't be here. Um, I don't know who we get in. To be honest, maybe get in Tuchel. Tuchel, maybe Pochettino. That that would be 
strange appointment. Any ex-PSG manager, <laughs> just go for them. That, that'll do. Um, but yeah, well, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with our review of the semi-final next week. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.